You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Uh, if we've not met before, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to extend a real warm welcome to you and say it's really great to have you here. Thanks for coming this time of the year to worship with us uh, during the Christmas time. And uh, we'll certainly mention this at the end of the service, but we invite you back on Saturday for one of our Christmas Eve services as, uh, as well. So again, thanks for, thanks for being here. These last, uh, last week and this week and uh, Christmas Eve as well, we're focusing on the theme of peace. Peace. It's a prominent theme in the, in the Christmas story. And, and today I want to talk about Christmas peace for all our fears. Christmas peace for all our fears. I don't know if you've ever connected fear and Christmas. Have you thought about the relationship between fear and Christmas? It, it's really, it's, it's in the text in a number of places. I mean, starting with Joseph, when the angel appears to Joseph uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, this is, this is what Matthew writes. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, now, understandably, getting that message from an angel, uh, Joseph could be very much tempted to fear with the, with the prospect of marrying pregnant Mary, uh, that's a fearful situation. What are people going to say? No one will ever believe this story. I mean, no one's going to believe this. And so you could look ahead and say, "Man, I'm entering a I'm entering a life of shame, and judgment, and rejection in that culture, in that world, and in that day for sure." So naturally, he would be fearful by the news. So the angel says. Do not fear. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen. Did you know that do not fear is the most common command in all the Bible? We would probably guess something else. You know, we'd probably guess one of the big ten, maybe the Ten Commandments. But the reality is do not fear is a command found over 300 times in the Bible. And it's certainly in the Christmas story. Or, or take the, the wonderful account of a Charlie Brown Christmas. I hope you watched it this year. It's a must uh, since it came out in 1965. And Charlie is tasked with directing the school Christmas play. And it's a frustrating experience for him. Very difficult to pull everybody together. And at one point, uh, with great exasperation, he just blurts out, is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about. And immediately, thumb-sucking Linus walks up to him and tells Charlie Brown he knows the meaning of Christmas. And then Linus, blanket in hand, walks out to the center of the stage, blanket in hand, and he tells the tech crew to turn the spotlight on. They light him up, and he begins to recite the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. It, you know the account. It's uh, shepherds are in their field watching the flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appears to them. So he begins to recite that, and something special happens. 
when he gets to verse 10. Verse 10 is when the angel first speaks directly to the shepherds. And the angel says, it's recorded in verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And as he speaks the word on cue, when he says, fear not, he drops the blanket. It's a subtle act. It's a subtle act, the blanket drop, that communicates that the message of Christmas is that God has come to rescue us from our fears. God has come to rescue us from fear. Commenting on Linus's famous blanket drop, author Anne Voskamp writes the following. She says, the first message of Christmas is fear not. The birth of Jesus banishes our fears. Maybe the Christmas spirit is always about letting go of our security blankets. Maybe the Christmas spirit is always about letting go of the security of masquerading perfection. To be secure in a perfect Messiah who saves us from our mess. Jesus, the perfect Messiah, comes to save us in the middle of our mess, in our darkness, in our sins, in our hopelessness. Jesus comes to banish fear. One of the clearest examples in all of Jesus' ministry of him banishing fear, of him bringing peace in the midst of fear is found in Mark chapter 4. Now, this is not a part of the traditional Christmas story, but I would argue that this account, as clear as any in the Gospels, communicates the incarnation to us, for it shows us the humanity and the deity of Jesus in the very same passage. It's Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. Let's listen to God's holy word together. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Bible scholar uh, David Garland says that when we read an account of the Gospels, we should always ask three questions. He says we should first of all ask, what does it reveal about Jesus? That's the most important question. Secondly, we should ask, what does it reveal about the human predicament? 
And third, we should ask, what solution does it, predict, uh, does it present for the human predicament? And so I'm going to take those three questions and look at the text we just read and see how the coming of Jesus addresses our fears. Number one, what does it reveal about Jesus? Well, it reveals he's exhausted, does it not? Evening has come. Uh, he's had a full day of teaching. In, in the context of the chapter, he has been teaching, and he's so tired that he falls asleep on the boat. Verse 38 says, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. He's asleep in the boat. He is so tired that he is sleeping through this storm. And the message of Christmas, if it's anything, it's that God has become man. God has become man to reconcile us to himself. To do so, to reconcile us, God had to become fully man. The, the very human baby that cries in the manger grows up and is now exhausted after an emotional and physical, uh, the, the emotional and physical demands of a day of ministry, and he is out. So the first thing the passage really teaches us is that Jesus is genuinely human. He doesn't merely appear human. He is wholly human and wholly divine. And he, he had to become man in order to reconcile God and man. He had to be both God and man to bridge the break between God and man. So the story certainly points to his humanity, something we celebrate this time of year. But it also points to his divinity, doesn't it? Verse 37 says, A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So he is asleep, but there is this great windstorm. And it's so serious, this windstorm, that there are professional fishermen on board, his disciples. Some of them are professional fishermen. They've seen this sort of thing. And yet they are petrified because water is pouring into the boat. As the waves come over uh, the top of the boat, the water, uh, the, the boat is filling with water. And so their, I would say, reasonable conclusion is that we are perishing. They're in a panic. And they Waken human Jesus who is sleeping through the whole thing. And when they wake him, Jesus stands and rebukes the wind, the text says. And then he says to the sea, Peace, be still. Just like you might correct a wayward toddler. Peace, be still. Only the waves obey him and do what he says. The wind ceased, and there is a great calm. It could be translated dead calm. So he rebukes the wind, he speaks to the sea, and it's like dead. It's like looking out over glass. No wind, no moving sea. The sea is completely still. When he says peace, a killer storm that, that was frightening the professional fisherman becomes motionless. In an instant, there is dead calm when Jesus says, peace. And the disciples, how do they respond to this? Well, verse 41 says, they were filled with great fear. The miracle is scarier than the storm. The storm was scary. 
But now they have never seen anything like this. This is inconceivable that a man could stand up in a boat and speak to the storm and the forces of nature obey his word. And so they mutter to one another, verse 41. They, they were filled with great fear, and they say to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? And that's the question that the text wants us to ask. That's the whole point of the text. The point of the text is that we're to be drawn just as the disciples to ask, who is this man, Jesus? The answer is, well, that he is God because he does what only God the creator can do, and that is direct nature. No one can direct nature but God Almighty. And it's not just that he directs nature. He calms the sea. And this is significant because in the ancient world, people, including the Israelites, people viewed the sea as this frightening force. The sea was the place of chaos. It was the picture of chaos because the sea was uncontrollable. The sea was unpredictable, as they've experienced. It's unpredictable. You are victim of the sea. You don't control the sea. The sea is scary because it is unmanageable. And so when a storm like this suddenly comes, there is a chaotic terror that would overwhelm any person, certainly the ancient person and the vessels that they were in in the water. And so the idea is that no one can overpower the chaotic sea but God himself. God himself. And that's why when we get a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, we get this very unusual statement. If you've ever read this, you may have thought, why is that there? Well, this is why. In, in Revelation 21.1, the description of the new heaven and new earth is this. Then I saw, John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea was no more. What's he saying? New heaven, new earth, and the great, unpredictable, unmanageable, chaotic terror to humanity, the fearful sea, is gone forever. Only God can deliver people from the power of the sea, from the power of the storm. And so when they are saying, who is this? The picture very clearly is, this is God in the boat. Because no one else can say, peace be still to the chaos, and the chaos obeys. And in a moment, the uncontrollable is completely under control. And the vulnerable... Oh, they are vulnerable. The vulnerable disciples, they're completely safe in the hand of God who speaks peace, be still. So that's what it reveals about Jesus, that he is human and that he is God because he does what only God can do. What does the passage reveal about the human predicament? Well, very clearly, right? We're not in control. We're all vulnerable. A big storm can come up at any moment and... We're in a panic. 
thinking that we are perishing. A metaphorical storm can come up in our lives as well, and the same happens. We're vulnerable, and this is the root of so many of our fears, is it not, that we are vulnerable, we are not in control. That's why we crave control, because we, like Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to be like God. We want to write our own story, control our own world. We don't want to submit to him and trust him. We want to be our own gods. And so we don't like being vulnerable. We don't like when we're not in control. And so Jesus, having revealed his power and his care for them by stopping the storm, he he asks his disciples, verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Fear is a common experience when we uh, when, we ex- when we experience vulnerability, when we are aware of our vulnerability, when we are aware it's out of my control, then fear is a very common heart response. In his book, Running Scared, biblical counselor Ed Welch says that we can really begin to understand how fear works when we realize that fear speaks to us. Your fears are always trying to convince you of something because fear acts like it can confidently predict the future. You see that in this text. Fear is speaking to the disciples loud and clear, persuading them that they are perishing. The truth is God is in the boat, but in the moment, Fear is telling them you are perishing. Fear will always remind you, you are vulnerable. You are not in control. This is what fear constantly tells us. That's why the root of many of our fears are found in this place. I'm not in control. What is the fear of flying about? Uh, It's about I'm not in control. We are in the air in a big hunk of metal, and this thing could go down, and I, I can do nothing. I didn't even listen to what they said you're supposed to do when the flight attendants <laughs> gave the speech at the beginning. I didn't even know where the life thing is, life fest. But the fear is I'm not in control. Fear of your boss. She or he has power over your career, you feel like. They have power over your day-to-day work life. So i got to be in good with the boss because the boss has some control that I don't have. Fear of surgery, fear of going under. That moment when they put the mask on you and you're supposed to count backwards from 100 and then you lose control. And people are, that you don't even know are cutting and probing and doing all kinds of rearranging, doing all kinds of stuff with your body and you have no, zero control. You're not even mentally present for the experience. How about this one? Fear of being real and letting people know who I really am. Letting people know my vulnerabilities. Fear of being known by others and fearing that they will reject We are, in fact, vulnerable. We aren't in control. And the story makes that point, that there is peace, there can be peace through Christ when we're not in control, that he is the prince of peace 
He is in control. He is present. He cares. And he speaks peace into the storm. The thing about fear, Welch writes about this, is that it prophesies a future, but fear always prophesies a false future. And here's what I mean by this. Fear predicts a terrible scenario is coming. You think about it. You think about the diagnosis you got. And, and there is a, our minds just go down a, down a pathway to imagine a terrible scenario. But here's what fear will do. It will tell you about a terrible scenario and it will lead you to imagine it without God. Fear's never going to talk to you about God's presence with you in the midst of difficulty. So what fear does, it imagines a future suffering. It speaks to you. It seeks to persuade and convince you that there is a future suffering coming for you and God will not be present. God will not help you. That there is a terrible future circumstance coming in which you are alone. That's what fear really does. It, it says that not only are you vulnerable, but you will experience the worst, and you will be alone. God will not be present and help you. So in reality, the fearful scene that goes through in your mind, it's probably not even going to happen. I, I, love, I think it's Mark Twain that said, I've known a lot of trouble in my life, but most of it never happened. Uh, it's, that, it's that believing the worst case that's coming, it's the worry, the anxiety, the fear of what's coming. So it's probably not going to happen. That's what I'd say to begin with. Of most of the things you feared have not happened. The plane has not gone down or you would not be here. So most of it doesn't happen. But even if it happens, even if your worst fearful scenario happens, God will be with you. God will be present. Jesus cares for you. And in his presence, you will find peace. You will not be subject to the chaos. Uh, you, you, it will not overwhelm you because Jesus is with you. Jesus will never leave you. And fear will not remind you of that promise. When you're fearing uh, what's going to happen uh, you will never be reminded that God will be with you. Even if this happens, he'll be with you. He'll walk with you, and he'll use it for your good. Fear will never tell you that. It will say you are vulnerable, you will be alone, it will be bad. So often, we act like the disciples. Verse 38, it says, uh, he was in the stern he is asleep, and they wake him, panic, saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Fear leads them to believe something untrue. They think they may die, which they may have. They could have. We all die. They think they may die, but what, what they say is, Do you not care? They are accusing Jesus of not caring for them. This is our moment of greatest need. How can you be asleep through this? Do you not care that we are perishing? God, where are you? And it's not just where are you. 
It's do you even care? This is so common. When we're faced with vulnerability, we often accuse Jesus rather than trust him and embrace him. And that's exactly what they do. You may have a situation in your life right now where you're feeling that way. Where is God? And it's okay to express that. It's good to express that. There are numbers of psalms uh, in the Bible where God inspires people to record uh, in a lament these kinds of questions. How long, O Lord? How long will I have to endure this? Where are you? So expressing our Lord, I don't I don't sense you. I'm not aware of you. It feels like you're distant. We can express that to the Lord. We should express that to the Lord. We just don't stay there. We just don't stay there because he is not really absent. He is not really absent. So that's what it teaches about our human predicament, that we are vulnerable, that we are not in control, that our fear tells us a story It tells us what's going to happen. In this case, fear told them you're going to die. And that fear will always uh, predict that Jesus will not be present in our time of need. And so we are left saying, don't you even care? Don't you even care? Well, the third question is, what solution does the passage offer for our predicament? What does it teach us about Jesus? What does it teach us about the human predicament? What solution does it offer for the human predicament? Well, because Jesus is all-powerful, we can give him our fears and trust that he will protect us. That's kind of a summary of the whole passage. Because Jesus is all-powerful, because he is God and controls the chaos, brings disorder to chaos, rules over the threatening uh, sea and all else that threatens us, because he is all-powerful over that, because even nature itself must obey his command. We can give him our fears and trust that, in fact, he does care for us and that he is with us. When we recognize our loss of control and then we imagine God is unable or unwilling to help us, fear takes over. But if we could be certain that, in fact, he will never leave us, in fact, he will never forsake us, That, in fact, he may lead us into the storm. He led them into the storm. He may lead us into a storm, but he will be with us in the middle of the storm, and he will ultimately deliver us from the storm. If we knew that, that would silence our fears as as powerfully as he silences the wind and stops the waves. He does this to draw us closer to him. I mean, what is the result of this experience? The result of this experience is they have a revelation of God that they didn't have prior to the storm. They had seen Jesus show his power in a number of ways. He'd shown his power over sickness already in Mark. He's shown his power over demons already in Mark. But now he's shown his power over the created order. And they, didn't, they hadn't seen that prior to this. So it was through this terrifying moment that they received this revelation It causes them to ask what we're supposed to ask. Who is this man? And the answer, he is God Almighty, and he is eminently trustworthy. So they receive a revelation of who God is. And then what happens? Once they receive this picture of who he is, it says, verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? What happens? Fear of the storm is replaced with fear of God. 
in that moment, there is a fear of God. Who is this? Who can do this? And they are shaking in fear, a fear greater than the fear of the storm. There's a fear that's greater than the uncontrollable. That is the fear of the one who controls all. And it's a fear that is to lead us to peace, not panic. It's a breathtaking awe. It's an amazement. It's a wonder. It's what leads us to say glory to God in the highest. It is not a fear like he's going to harm me. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are secure in him. It's not a fear that he's going to harm me in some way. It's a fear that he rules over all and that he is worthy of my worship. There is nothing more awe-inspiring than God. I guarantee you, up to this point, this is the most awe-inspiring moment of their lives. They get this picture of God and they trade the fear of a storm for the fear of God Almighty. And they find out that God is with them. And God does care. That was a false accusation. God does care. He does care. I wonder what fears you're facing this Christmas. Last week we talked about anxieties that are common at Christmas. I wonder what fears you're facing this Christmas. Maybe not something like they faced. Though it may be. You, you may be facing death. There's some in the room that may have a health condition that you are facing death or someone that you love is facing death and you're asking the very question, does he care? The answer is he does care and he is all powerful. He is with you in the storm and will be with you after as well. But there's a lot of other fears we experience at Christmas. For some of us, we have fears that go dormant during the year and then they rise up this time of year when we get together again with our family or something happens or we're reminded of something from our past this time of year and the fears come again. Maybe you have a fear of conflict and this season has always been a season where at some point there's family conflict. Maybe you have a fear of being criticized or judged because that's been the pattern when the family gets around at this time of year. Maybe you have a fear of not having all the resources that you will need. Uh, on, you don't have enough money. That's a fear that comes this time of year. Maybe you have a fear of a relationship ending. Maybe you have a fear of that depression returning. It's been a pretty good year, but now you fear that the depression will return. There are certain patterns and activities and things that happen at Christmas time. And you fear that you'll fall back in to your addiction, alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever it is. You fear that you could go back to where you were this time of the year. Fear is going to tell you you are going to fall. You are going to be alone. God will not, be, will not tell you God will be with you. Fear will not tell you the people of God will support you. Fear will not tell you the word of God will sustain you. Fear will tell you you're feeling the same feelings, you're going to go back to the same lifestyle, and you're going to be alone. Fear of your spouse rejecting you. Fear of your child or your parent rejecting you. 
Fear that someone you love is making bad choices right now. There's some of us in the room, you have people that you deeply care for that are making very bad life choices right now. It is out of your control. You can do nothing about it. And you are fearful. You're not looking to the Lord. You're fearful. Fearful that someone you love will harm himself or herself. You're fearful of losing your job at the first of the year economic reports of recession and this sort of thing, you're fearful for job security. You're fear of, fearful of someone finding out what you've done. You're fearful of someone knowing who you really are, what you're really like. You're fearful of death, the great, the great fear. Well, there is someone this passage teaches that is greater than all we fear, and he has come to bring peace. He is the prince of peace, peace on earth, goodwill toward man is the, is the message from the angels. Fear not, peace has come. That is the message of the angels, and in many ways that is the message of Christmas, that he's come to bring peace amid our uncertainties and our vulnerabilities. He brings peace in the chaos and the uncontrollable. He is with us, he cares, and he, he, he not just cares, we know he cares not just because he stops a storm. We know he cares because of the cross. That's really the reason we know he cares. Have you ever thought about the question they ask? Do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus answers that question. He answers that question in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's, that's the story that whoever trusts in him, you will never perish, but you will have eternal life. This body will die, but you will never perish. You will have eternal life. Fear is telling you today a story, and you need to hear a different story. You need to embrace this story, the story of Scripture, the story of Christmas, the true story of God coming to rescue the vulnerable, to save us from ourselves. Um, there's coming a situation in your life that, that you're fearful of, and fear is telling you that's going to happen, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. You're not good enough, you're not strong enough, and you are alone. Faith says Jesus can stand and stop the storm at any moment. And even if he doesn't stop the storm, he is with us and he is at rest. We should take our cues from him. He is in control. He rules. He reigns. He controls everything starting with nature. And even if, even if my worst fear comes to pass, my spouse dies, I never actually get married. I lose my job. I have terminal cancer. I don't know what your greatest fear is, but whatever your greatest fear is, if that actually happens, you will not be alone. You will not be left vulnerable to the chaos with the water pouring into your boat with no help, Jesus will be right beside you. And he promises that he will not only be with you, but he will use that for your good. He will reveal himself in your suffering in a way that you will never know him in your prosperity. 
He will reveal himself in the midst of a fear in a way that you will never know in a tranquil vacation on the beach. Lying on the beach, soaking up the sun, relaxing, you will never meet the Lord in the same way there as you will in the boat in a storm. So he will use it for your good. He may rescue you from it. He may heal you. You may die, but if you do, you will see him face to face, and you will experience his glory in person. He answers our fears with his peace. He calls us to faith. And listen, don't worry about how much faith you have. That's the danger of the prosperity gospel. you got to have enough faith. The, The question is not how much faith you have. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the strength of the object of your faith. You can have weak faith, but weak faith placed on God Almighty is great faith because you are trusting the one who controls everything. Of course your faith is shaky. Of course my faith is shaky. We are human. We are sinful. We are weak. Our faith is shaky, but the smallest faith, the size of a mustard seed, the smallest faith, our sins are forgiven and we're justified by coming to Jesus with the smallest faith. We're rescued by the smallest faith and we experience the peace of God through the smallest faith in the greatest object, the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of Christmas is that Emmanuel, God with us, and he brings peace. He destroys fear. And he calls us whatever security blanket that we are holding to drop it this season and trust him, looking to him. How do I do that? Well, you just... Turn your heart to him. If you've never trusted him before, you can turn to him today, asking him to forgive your sins, submitting yourself to him as Lord of your life. You can receive new life and actually become a Christian and meet the Prince of Peace who comes to banish fear today. If you are a Christian, you can come to him as well and cast your cares upon him. Give him your fears. Ask for an awareness of his presence. Last week, I challenged everybody to pause for peace. And if you don't normally read the Bible, to take 15 minutes a day and read uh, the Gospels, the story of Jesus. I don't know how many of you did that, but if you did, I I trust God met you through that. And I I challenge you to do that through Christmas. If you read the Bible regularly, I challenge you to spend more time to read more and spend more time with him uh, this Christmas season uh, to, to pause for peace and ask for his help. One other way that you can address your fears by not only going to him is by talking to a trusted Christian friend about it. My experience personally and then in talking with others is that when our darkest fears are exposed to the light, oftentimes they shrivel. Now, not in all cases, but oftentimes, even as we're speaking them out to another person, we begin to see what sounded made a lot of sense in our head sounds at times rather foolish in light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And so just speaking it out, I recently met someone for the first time, and they were telling me their, some of their story, and they shared with me a very, very, very private fear that is at times debilitating for them. But as this person spoke it, I thought, what power that there was a vulnerability in her heart that she would just say, meeting me, this is who I am. 
I'm living in the light. When we expose our fears to the light, the grace of God meets us in a wonderful and a powerful way. Fears thrive in darkness, but they're killed by light, the light of truth and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so maybe it's not just reading the Bible and praying, maybe it's talking to a trusted friend and saying, would you pray for me? I mean, this is where I'm struggling. This is, maybe I've never told anyone this, but this is what I really fear. Would you pray for me? He is the Prince of Peace and he has come to banish fears. Let's give our hearts a fresh day. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.